I shall live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Remember these words when you are sick or angry or grieving or afraid or lonely or ashamed or despondent or suffering in any way. I shall live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. For so King David sings in the beloved 23rd Psalm, and so we dare to hope because life would finally be unendurable without the horizon of eternal life and the pledge of unbounded glory which come from sharing God's own life as his adopted children. But to understand and experience this pledge of eternal life, we must first know, love, and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is what we sang in the Gospel acclamation just a moment ago with the words of St. Paul to the Ephesians. May the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ enlighten the eyes of our hearts so that we may know what is the hope that belongs to our call. But what is this call? And where and how do we receive it? Well, this call is an invitation to a banquet. It is, in fact, a call to a glorious banquet that never ends and which satisfies the deepest desires of our hearts. And this banquet is none other than the wedding feast of the Lamb, once slain, who lives forever. Our gospel last week was taken from the final verses of Matthew chapter 21, about a vineyard occupied by self-obsessed tenants who are brought to a bad end by the owner of the vineyard after they murder his servants and his son. And today's gospel is the very next passage in Matthew, at the beginning of chapter 22. Remember that these parables were offered by the Lord Jesus to teach something essential about the kingdom of heaven to the religious authorities in Jerusalem who had rejected him and wanted to kill him. But now the setting of the parable moves from a vineyard to a wedding feast for the king's son. The first guests to be invited behave like the narcissistic tenants in last week's parable, and they refuse to come because they have their own priorities and projects. But more than that, when the king insists that they come as is their duty, they abuse and kill the king's messengers, and thus earn terrible retribution. Then, finally, the king brings into the feast everyone who can be found, the good and the bad alike, and he wants them all to rejoice in the nuptial celebration of his son. But the king then observes a guest in his hall who has refused to accept the wedding garment offered by the host to everyone arriving for the feast. This man, by his refusal to accept the king's proper festal clothing, makes himself unfit for fellowship, both with the king and with the rest of the wedding company. And so the ungracious guest is expelled from the feast and cast into the outer darkness of miserable solitude.
These verses from Matthew's Gospel are actually two parables told as a single story. And several versions of both were standard tools in rabbinical teaching. But the Lord Jesus recast these well-known lessons to turn the point against the chief priests and elders who would have told these parables many times to other people without ever understanding the consequences for themselves. Both those who will not come to the feast and the man who does come but demands that he do so on his own terms are refusing to live according to the gracious plan of the king for the happiness of his people. And that refusal turns out to be disastrous for those who are certain that they have a better plan than the king. Friends, before the creation of the universe, the living God had a plan for the perfect happiness of the human race. But from the beginning of the human story, we have all had a better plan than the Lord. Or so we think. The gospel is the supernatural gift of divine revelation, and it teaches us both why we exist and how we should live in keeping with our purpose to find the blessings of divine grace both now and in the eternal kingdom to come, the kingdom of justice, love, and peace. But we are often too busy with our own affairs to pay much attention, and so we do not come to the feast. Or even if we are attentive to the Lord's plan, we insist that we still have a better idea for how it should unfold, especially for ourselves, and so we will not wear the proper garment because we are willful and self-absorbed. And this brings us back to the question, where and how do we receive the call of the king to attend the wedding feast? In holy baptism. We are called to God's kingdom in baptism, and in that sacrament of second birth, we are signed and sealed with a cross, anointed to be more like Christ washed clean of our sins, enlightened with the radiance of divine truth in the Holy Gospel, and clothed with Christ as signified by a white garment, a wedding garment, which we must bring unstained to the kingdom of heaven. And what begins with holy baptism then continues throughout our lives as we receive the other sacraments of faith, most especially the banquet of Christ's body and blood, which is a foretaste even now of the eternal wedding feast of the Lamb. But for the sacraments of the new covenant to have their full intended effects in our lives as instruments of God's grace, we must also read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the inspired word of God in Holy Scripture. That is how we hear and heed the invitation to the wedding feast, and how we are prepared to understand and accept all that God intends for our lives in his eternal plan of salvation. And then together, word and sacrament are the means by which the Lord himself strengthens us in holiness to cooperate with his grace and to live upright and godly lives in this present age as we await the return of our Savior in glory. Now here we must acknowledge that the warning given by the Lord Jesus in this passage from Matthew's Gospel is both stern and dark. 
But that is because he was trying to penetrate the blindness of self-righteous men who had confused their personal construal of reality with the living and active word of God. Christ, the true light of the world, wanted to enlighten the eyes of their hearts so that they could understand the hope of their call. But in their refusal to see the Lord as anything but an upstart from Nazareth, the chief priests and elders remained blind and therefore isolated from true fellowship with the living God. But their failure to heed the word of God should not distract us from the indescribable joy of the wedding feast of the Lamb to which the entire human race is called. Because inviting all peoples to share that joy is the true point of this parable. And it is that very joy which was foreseen and described in today's first lesson by the prophet Isaiah in his vision of the triumph of the Messiah on Mount Zion, a symbol of the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the true home of all the peoples of the earth, people from every tribe and nation. So Isaiah wrote, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast of rich foods and choice wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples, the web that is woven over all nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face. On that day it will be said, Behold our God, to whom we looked to save us. This is the Lord for whom we looked. Let us rejoice and be glad that he has saved us, for the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Friends, that messianic victory was accomplished once and for all by the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by dying destroyed death, and by rising restored life to all who receive him with faith, hope, and love. All we need do is accept his gracious invitation to the wedding feast and then surrender ourselves to his eternal plan for our happiness in order to take our place at his bountiful table, world without end. And then, no matter what we must suffer now, our transforming union of grace with the risen Lord Jesus allows us to say with supreme confidence and life-changing conviction, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Amen. Amen.